The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Of course Jesus said that. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you happy. I will keep you perpetually healthy. I'll give you that promotion. I'll give you the best parking spot in the lot. If you follow me, You'll get whatever you want and life will be great and you'll always be smiling and you will be perpetually happy. So as I stood on the footprint of the uh, foundation of the Colosseum right outside of it, I was confronted with what I understand as an American version of Christianity and how it's so conflicted with church history. I don't know what kind of version of Christianity Ignatius of Antioch had, but it doesn't sound anything like this Jesus that we too often quote. I mean, I don't know where Ignatius of Antioch went wrong. The first Christian martyr to die in the Roman Colosseum. And I don't know where the thousands and tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of Jesus followers who like him died in the name of Jesus. See, the Roman Colosseum was built by or, or, you know, implemented by the emperors of Rome, Vespasian and Titus. But under Trajan, it began to be used in a whole different way. It went from gladiator games and contests to a site of murder. Trajan had traveled around Rome, the Roman Empire, to make sure that all of the subjects were loyal. And when he got to Antioch, he gathered up the citizens and the leaders in Antioch and demanded loyalty. And one of the ways they would demand the loyalty is that you would worship, you had to express your worship or your confession of devotion to the Roman gods or die. Ignatius was the overseer of the churches in Antioch. And so when it came to his turn, rather than worshiping these Roman gods, He devoted his, or he committed and publicly stated his commitment to his faith in Jesus Christ. And so he was sent to Rome to die. When he got to Rome, he was imprisoned, threatened, and even tortured with the express purpose of getting him to recant his faith in Jesus. But rather than weakening his faith, it simply emboldened him. So that on the day of his death, he was brought out to the center of the Colosseum where he looked out at 50,000 cheering Roman citizens who were going to celebrate his death. And he said in a loud, clear voice, Oh, you Romans, I am the grain of God, and I'm about to be ground by the teeth of beasts so that I may be the pure bread of Christ, who is to me the very bread of of life. And they released the beasts and they devoured Ignatius. And the stories say that there was nothing left of him except a few, few pieces of bones. And Christian after Christian, like Ignatius, were chased by lions and beasts. And then we fast forward to today, where instead of being chased by beasts, we are chasing the carrot of happiness where we pursue prosperity and comfort and ease and wealth 
We've got soft beds to sleep on, and we've got waiter-made, waiter-served meals, so we have no cleanup. We've got every access to the latest technology that makes our life easier and more efficient and more comfortable. We've got all forms of entertainment on every one of our electronic devices so we can be perpetually numbed from the stress and the fears that bother us. We have doctors to ease our ails, counselors to comfort our fears about the past, and pastors to comfort our fears about the future. We've got retirement advisors who will make us comfortable when the doctors no longer can. And we believe that happiness is the greatest good. Here's what we believe. That if it feels good, it is good. And if it feels bad, it is bad. That means if it feels good, it's from God. And if it feels bad, it's not. And what we've done is we've begun to worship not the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, but the God of our own desires called happiness. And there are people who peddle a a Christianity of prosperity and feel good because they're trying to sell something or lie lie to you so that you will believe in a Jesus that doesn't exist because Jesus never came and said that he wants us to feel good. Jesus never said that his goal was for us to be happy. And so we've been tricked into believing that. We've believed a lie. And when you believe that lie, when you believe that Jesus wants you to feel good, and then you don't feel good. When you believe that Jesus wants you to be happy, but then your life is full of pain and suffering, you start to think, well, Jesus must not exist, or what I was told about Jesus was a lie. And we have a crisis of faith because inevitably life is painful and full of suffering. And as the protagonist in The Princess Bride says, anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to, tell you, or is trying to sell you something. And in fact, Jesus not only didn't say that he wants us to be happy, but he spoke to a crowd. You could even call it a mob, a mob of people who wanted Jesus to overthrow this tyrannical Roman Empire. He spoke to the Jewish people who had been oppressed and occupied and beaten and abused and overtaxed and robbed, their women raped and their men murdered. And they gathered to Jesus because they saw in Jesus a king who would overthrow Rome and establish and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus withdrew from them. Not desiring a coronation, but wanting to speak to their hearts. But the crowd followed and mobbed around him. So instead of leading a revolution, he sat down and taught them revolutionary truths. Truths about how to live in cooperation with God's kingdom rather than demanding God to set up a new kingdom in their nation. Jesus taught them how to live rightly in relationship with God and with others. His teaching was captioned and recorded by a a guy who had been a tax collector named Matthew. 
Later in life, Matthew became a follower of Jesus and then even later wrote down the story of the life and teachings of Jesus, not only from his eyewitness experience, but what from he had seen and heard and uh, the stories he had heard and even what the Holy Spirit impressed on his life. And we have the account of Matthew's writing in the Bible. It's actually the first book of the New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament is where the story of the life of Jesus begins. And Matthew wrote this sermon out that Jesus taught sitting on a hillside to a crowd that had become a mob hoping that Jesus would overthrow Rome. They had suffered cruelly the abuses of Rome. And Jesus says this as recorded in Matthew chapter 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, doing what's right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the exact opposite of what they wanted to hear. What they wanted to hear was blessed are those who overthrow persecution and establish the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus says blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What? What? No, Jesus! Overthrow Rome. Crush the persecution. Stop the abuse. That abuse isn't from God. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? And Jesus says, blessed are you and you're persecuted, insulted, falsely accused, trashed, beaten, overlooked for a promotion when you lose your job. Blessed are you when you're mistreated because you're doing what is right and because you believe in me. For great is your reward in heaven. Throw off this kind of Christianity. Give me the feel-good stuff. Just tell me that I'm going to get the promotion. Tell me I'm going to have a great life. Tell me I'm going to have a perpetual smile on my face. Tell me that everything is going to go great. Here is the reality. No one is exempt from suffering. You will never meet one person who hasn't experienced pain. Jesus is not saying that if you don't believe in me, your life is going to be great. And if you believe in me, you'll be persecuted, insulted, and mistreated. Nor is he saying that if you believe in me, you'll be happy, and if you don't, you'll be unhappy. He's saying everyone will suffer. Everyone will experience pain and sorrow and hardship. But the way you suffer is radically and revolution is a revolutionary new way of suffering when you believe in me. It's the way we suffer that is different when you have faith in Jesus versus not having faith in Jesus. So how do you suffer when you believe in Jesus? You endure hardship. I'd encourage you to write that down. In your program, in the study guide that we give out, there's a place to take notes. Feel free to write it there. Uh, if you're on a smartphone or tablet, feel free to take notes. And if you're on social media right now, which by all means we encourage that, you can Facebook Live this or you can, you can uh, you know, 
have a comment stream of what I am sharing. The big idea I want you to share right now is this, endure hardship. Now, some of you don't want to write that down because you think by saying it, you're going to invite it. Look, you don't have to invite this. It's going to come. I know, I know. Everyone, everybody wants to be happy. Look, I want to be happy. I get it. But it's impossible. Right? We all would universally agree it is impossible to be perpetually happy. Life will not make you always happy. But why? Because there's this deep spiritual fracture inside of us called sin. It is at the invisible part of who we are that has been fundamentally broken. And as a result, sin is sabotaging our best. Sin is a spiritual disease that is a source of all other problems, pain, hardship, and suffering in our life and in the world we live in. Sin is a spiritual problem which drives us away from God and toward our own instincts and desires. And we were all born with this nature called sin. It drives us away from God, and as a result, we're cut off from God, from right living, from knowing what is best and good. Sin fractures what is best in our life, causing us to believe that what feels good is good, but it's not. At least not always. That's why sometimes you do what feels good and it gets you into trouble. And you go, whoops, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have drank that. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have acted that way, right? Because it felt good in the moment, but man, what feels good is often bad for you. But why do we believe it feels good? Because our sin nature broke us, cut us off from relationship with God, gave us desires that destroy us. And that's not even the worst part. Sin cuts us off from relationship with God, which means the result is forever separated from God in eternal judgment. That's the bad part. That's the frighteningly scary part that is not just this final death moment, but this forever suffering. And so what we do is we self-medicate. We want happiness but we don't get happiness because it's impossible to sustain. And so we try to make ourselves feel better by self-medicating in order to numb the hurt, the pain, and the problems around us. And every one of us have our own little version of self-medicating. Some of you use sexuality, you use lust, you use relationships, you use pornography, you're, you're sleeping with somebody you shouldn't be sleeping with, and you're doing it simply to make yourself feel better. Others of you, you're using entertainment. You're constantly entertaining yourself. You're constantly recreating on the internet simply to distract your mind from the worries and the problems of the world around you. Others, you use relationships or people or you have a bad attitude or you're using anger. You're giving into impulse and emotion as a way to self-medicate. The problem is it just digs the hole deeper. It creates more problems and more pain. But God who is unwilling to leave us on a crash course trajectory with forever judgment intervened in our story by becoming one of us. Jesus Christ comes to earth for the express purpose of taking the sin judgment that was on every one of us and he put it on himself. The eternal death sentence that we deserve and we are facing. 
he faced on our behalf. So that when he died, he died once for all. He died in our place and took on our judgment and our punishment so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, shame and guilt removed, and in place of guilt and sin, he gives us his spirit, his spirit that doesn't just repair what is broken, but transforms and comes in our life and gives us new life. And when God's spirit is alive in our spirit, he radically transforms how we suffer. Not everyone will endure hardship. Everyone will face hardship, face suffering, but most people, when they face suffering, it makes them more bitter, angry. It isolates them, leaves them feeling more alone, cuts them off further and further away from God, angry with God. God, why would you, if you exist, why would you allow this to happen? But when you believe in Jesus by faith, his spirit is alive in you. It transforms your perspective on suffering and changes how you suffer so that you can endure hardship. What does it look like to endure hardship? Well, let me give you a couple really practical ways, steps you can take. The first is this. Endure hardship with Jesus. That's right. Without Jesus... Suffering and hardship and agony and tragedy fit in one of two categories. Either it's pointless or it's punishment. Pointless. Life is just random and chaotic and bad things happen. There is no meaning. There is no significance to any of it. And when you feel like life is pointless, it isolates you because there's no meaning to anything. Therefore, I don't even know why I'm in this world. And it drives me to depression and anger and living a life that feels empty and pointless and insignificant, or everything that goes wrong is punishment. It's karma. It's whatever I did wrong coming full circle. I don't know what I did to deserve this particular bad thing in my life, but I must have done something. And so anything and everything bad that goes wrong stirs up more guilt and more shame and more anger and more resentment. I am a bad person. But when you believe in Jesus by faith, then you can endure hardship with Jesus because you know that everything you're going through is not the consequence of your sin because Jesus already took on the consequence of your sin. What you're going through, you can endure because God is with you. You will suffer. Everyone will suffer. But you have a confidence that you are not alone in your suffering. And as a result, your suffering, rather than pushing you away from God, drives you closer and closer into relationship with God. And maybe for a moment you might think, well, Patrick's just caught this little verse out of the Bible and he's just using it to share a big idea. But this is a a life-shaking idea. So I thought for a moment I'd do is lay out the case and make sure that you know this is a thoroughly biblical theme. Throughout the entire New Testament of the Bible, you get this message that we are going to suffer, but we will suffer with Jesus. And for um, our American Sign Language translation today, I'm going to warn you on the front end, I'm going to go really fast through these verses. So if you can't keep up, we'll post them so everybody has them. But here's what I want you to see. Simply this. Every book of the New Testament is going to remind you, you will suffer, but you're not going to suffer alone. You're going to suffer with Jesus. So here we go. I already read from the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The second book of the New Testament is Mark. Mark chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus said, all men will hate you 
because of me. And you're spending your life trying to be liked. Luke 21, verse 12, that's the third book of the New Testament. They will lay hands on you and persecute you on account of my name. And you thought because you believed in Jesus, people would like you. John 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, shows a little bit about how those who believed in Jesus responded to suffering. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. The next book of the New Testament is Romans. Romans 8, verse 18. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 13. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 7, which says, just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Galatians 6, verse 2. Ephesians 6, verse 13 through 16. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, which reads, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Colossians 1, verse 24. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 through 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. I'm just going in order through the New Testament of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through 13, which uh, is condensed in this way. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, endure pain and suffering, we will also reign with him. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, Philemon verse 23, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 33 through 39, which summarized reads this way, who through faith, meaning people who believe in God by faith, administer justice and gain what was promised and escape the edge of the sword. And you're like, hey, that sounds good. I want that part of it. Then he continues. Others were tortured, faced jeers and flogging. They were put to death by the sword. They were also commended for their faith. The letter of James, chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 33 through 9. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 13. 2 John, chapter, uh, 2 John, verse 7. 3 John, verses 9 through 10. Jude, verses 17 through 21. And finally, the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, which says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful to the point of death. Okay, well, whoa. Did I, I, did I fairly make the case that this is kind of like a pattern through the New Testament? The story of Jesus, the story of Christ's followers is that you were invited to suffer with Jesus. Ignatius, as he was sailing to Rome to face his death, he wrote this, only now do I begin to be a true disciple of Christ. I care for nothing of the, of the visible or the invisible things that the world is amazed by. I care only that I may but win Christ. Don't pray that I be delivered. Only pray for me that inward and outward strength be given to me, not only to speak and write this, but also to perform and endure it. What was Ignatius' point? That as he's going to face his death for his faith in Jesus, that journey revealed the joy of knowing Jesus. It was as if all of the pain and the suffering was stripping away his false priorities and refocusing his life on knowing Jesus. And when you endure hardship, you begin to know Jesus in a way you could have otherwise never known him. 
You discover the unknown Jesus who is faithful in the midst of our unfaithfulness, who is full of joy in the midst of sorrowful seasons. You discover a Jesus that has never failed you, who never betrays you, who never abandoned you, who is always forgiving, always faithful, always enduring. You discover God's spirit that so fills your life that you have joy in the midst of defeat. You have hope in the midst of despair. You have strength in the midst of your weakness. See, sorrow reveals God. And you discover that Jesus has always been with you. It actually pushes you deeper and deeper in a relationship with Jesus so that without suffering, I may have never known God as he truly is. If my life was only a bed of roses, I would have thought God was some great slot machine in the sky. But suffering has opened my eyes to discover that God is a loving Father who endured sending His Son to absorb my judgment and my suffering and my sin so that I could have true life, not happiness, but true eternal life full of joy and hope that goes beyond the circumstances. Oh, that I could join in the statement of the Apostle Paul who wrote that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and fellowship with him in his suffering. You want to know Jesus more? Embrace rather than curse your suffering. And that will lead you to this next step. We go back and read Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The theme here is that when you suffer because you're doing what is right, then you get access to the kingdom of heaven. When you suffer insults and persecution and false accusations because you're devoted to Jesus, then your life is favored by God. And what's the point? We endure hardship not only with Jesus, but like Jesus, the way Jesus endured hardship. How did Jesus endure hardship? He took on pain and suffering on our behalf. And when you rightly follow Jesus, you will willingly take on the suffering of others. You will mimic or follow the pattern of Jesus to embrace the suffering and the sorrow of others so that when you hear about other, the pain that others are going through, it will drive you to tears. It'll drive you to pray for them. It'll drive you to get involved in their mess. And what you're doing is you're taking a little bit of their sorrow on yourself. Just a little bit like the way Jesus took our suffering on himself. But it's not just that we, we endure hardship by taking on the suffering and the sorrow of others. It's that we become like Jesus when we endure hardship. Our suffering has a way of working like sandpaper to smooth off those rough edges, to remove the, the stuff that fills us that's more about us than it is about God. It has a way of brushing off the selfishness, scraping off those wrong desires. Suffering has a way of chipping away at me, believing that my life is about me. Suffering 
is God's way of reminding me that my life is to be part of his story, not about my story. It's not about my happiness, but about living in such a way that I can point others to Jesus. Your suffering is one of your greatest ways of showing the love of God. Why? Because someone will watch you in the midst of your suffering and they will wonder, how is it possible to go through that? With faith and joy and hope, I want what you have. I don't want to be, I don't want to go through what you've gone through, but I want what you have as you've gone through it. And that creates an opportunity when somebody says, man, how could you do that? How could you make it through that? I could never go through what you've been through. And it creates a door for you to say, well, let me tell you, I can't do this on my own. On my own, this would have destroyed me. But because of my faith in Jesus, I've been able to endure hardship because Jesus' love has filled my life. Wow! And then, not only do we endure hardship with Jesus or endure hardship like Jesus, but we endure hardship for the reward of Jesus. The end of suffering makes way to the reward of eternity with Jesus, where the best part of eternity is Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here, here's what Jesus is saying, because sometimes we can read over these things and they sound kind of like all biblical. They sound ancient and old and doesn't have much meaning. Rejoice and be glad. I mean, who goes around saying that? No, not today. Here's what he said. One of the things that you celebrate, we have wedding receptions and baby showers and bridal showers. And when you get a big promotion, I mean, you got, you got a raise beyond what you could have possibly imagined. And so you invite your family and friends out to a really nice meal, not some cheap meal. You know, you take them out to a nice place to celebrate this huge promotion. You got this great reward. And what Jesus is saying is it's time for you to start hosting wedding receptions and baby showers and promotion meals because of your suffering. Why would anybody do that? Hey, come to my house. Let's have a big barbecue because I'm going through hell. Here's why. Because, because what I want to invite you to join with me in is my treasure is not on earth. What you don't know, what you can't see is in the midst of all this suffering and pain and anguish, God is piling up treasure that will last forever. It's a retirement account that will pay out dividends month after month, year after year, forever. Hey, let's party. Let's celebrate. And meanwhile, you and I clam up and isolate ourselves because we're ashamed of our hardship and our sorrow. We're, we, we shield ourselves from each other because we're embarrassed about what we're going through and God forbid we start crying with each other. No. No, your hardship is an opportunity for us to celebrate with you the treasure of heaven. And now, this is going to rock how we think. How? How do you start to think that way? Because every pain and hardship and agony is a way of stripping away your fierce grip on the temporary. Am I the only one that when something tragic has happened in my family, completely refocused my priorities? Look, when you're racing one of your kids to the hospital because they're really sick, vacation, parties, 
other celebrations, other important things, work, none of it matters. My child's dying. I'm getting them to the hospital. Hardship refocuses my attention on what matters most. And so God allows suffering. He doesn't cause suffering, but he allows it because it keeps our focus not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. It gets our eyes off of this moment and keeps our eyes on the forever life. It gets our eyes off of the stuff of earth and starts to help us keep our focus on the treasure of eternity. Gets us away from trying to build a kingdom here and allow God to build his kingdom here so that we can be part of God's kingdom in heaven forever. So we endure hardship with the promise of the reward of Jesus. Some of you, you dragged in with you or you carried in with you pain, suffering, anguish, agony from the past, regrets, guilt, and shame, and you need to lay that somewhere. For you, Jesus went to the cross to lift that sin and guilt and shame off of your shoulders and replace it with a joy that goes beyond circumstances. And for you, that decision today is simply to say yes to the real Jesus, the one who saw your suffering and endured the pain of punishment for your sin. And you can't earn it, you can't deserve it. The only thing you can do is receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. Others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you've been worshiping a little bit too much of the God of happiness. And so I'm going to simply read to you a prayer. I hope that by reading this prayer, it becomes a little bit of your prayer. It's the last recorded prayer of Ignatius before he was taken out to the Colosseum. It was actually written in the prison cell beneath the Colosseum. Here's what he wrote. And here's what I believe to be the prayer that we can begin to pray as we fully embrace this. It reads this way. Maybe just close your eyes for a moment. All all of you, those of you that are watching with us online, those of you that are live streaming with us, those of you that are watch this later in the week, just just close your eyes for a moment. Just, Just allow the words to echo in your heart. Here it is. Ignatius wrote, Father, make us more like Jesus. Help us bear difficulty, pain, disappointment, and sorrow, knowing that in your perfect working and design, you can use such bitter experiences to mold our character and to make us more like our Lord. We look with hope to the day when we will be completely like Christ because we will see him as he is. My passions are crucified. There is no heat in my flesh And a stream flows murmuring inside me, deep down in me, saying, Oh, come to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.